Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Good day, good day, you legends, and welcome to your Wednesday episode with your story Stone in the Stream, chapters 14 to 17, mates. We've witnessed Zoe experience strange time anomalies phasing in and out of reality as it was, as well as witnessing now the effects of these time warps as Zoe encounters Dr. Roach for the second time. Oh yeah, the second time. Join me listeners for the continuation of Stone in the Stream, written by Fee Stringer, a listener just like you. Now folks, if you have a couple of seconds spare, leave an iTunes review, and if you can afford a cup of tea a month for the show, visit my Patreon page to support me and help it grow. Now, let's dive on in. Chapter 14 Time Passes Zoe stared out the car window, her forehead pressed against the cold glass of the rear window of the sedan. The whole world was overcast, and the droplets slowly migrated from the front to the back of the window. The hum of the car and the occasional hiss made for a numbing sensation on Zoe's mind, making it easy for her to drift in and out of awareness. For a moment, Zoe could not remember where she was or how she had come to be in the car. Her brow furrowed for a moment until she heard Carrot's voice. You alive back there, gorgeous? We are almost there. Oh, yeah. In such a party mood, Zoe said with some sarcasm. I am just kind of zoned out right now. Carrot, Billy, and Misery, the most gothy of the group, had decided that Zoe had been alone for too long. And besides the intermittent fling here and there, Zoe had not seen anyone romantically with any consistency since high school. While her slightly hermity nature did not bug her in the slightest, they had decided for her that she needed to get out and meet people. Their mutual acquaintance, Matthew Van Arker, was having some sort of horror movie get-together slash party at his condo, bought and paid for at his parents. There are going to be cool people there, according to Misery whose enthusiasm for horror movies and specifically horror movie fans was adorable and concerning in equal parts. For her, being not a party person, most of Zoe's friends agreed that she had an amazing sense of off-kilter style, and despite her not being that interested in impressing, she always managed to impress. She was in casual party dress mode right now, and Billy, who sat in the front with Carrot, was not hiding his glance as well. Zoe had her trademark fishnet stockings on, Carolina paratroop boots, black miniskirt, a slightly torn up Symmetry Man t-shirt that showed a tastefully sexy amount of her skin and black bra underneath, several silver bracelets blended with her punkish apparel, and eyeliner that made her green eyes all the more stunning. It was the kind of look that some girls spend hours trying to perfect with the correct amount of casual, with the right amount of sexy, and it probably would drive them mad to know that Zoe had spent all of 15 minutes on it before leaving. They arrived at his place. Carrot had an umbrella that Billy and Mystery tried to use as they got out of the car and quickly approached the door. Zoe, who never bothered with umbrellas, just walked on in. 
Zoe managed her party game face of smiles and, It's been so long. How have you been? Some of the less confident girls gave their to be expected judgmental stares and whispers, and some of the boys could not help but look a little too long at her, which made many of the same less confident girls all the more arctic in treatment. Small comment about how Zoe was really a crazy, suicidal bitch, or eventually slept with every boy and most of the girls she knows, made their rounds at all these gatherings. Of course, the latter of the comments usually had a somewhat backfiring effect on the males, who used their imaginations almost immediately upon hearing the rumours. Zoe knew of these rumours and didn't care. They broke upon her like water upon a stone. The films were playing one after another. Let Sleeping Corpses Lie, followed by Legend of Hell House, and there were a few more in the roster. She interacted the expected amount, drank less than the expected amount, and even managed to enjoy herself. Misery was drunk, Billy had found a potential hookup, and Carrot had fallen asleep. Despite their wishes, Zoe had not found true love at Matthew's condo. Matthew had a brother who wandered in and was introduced around the room, a strange boy with an annoying laugh. He eventually made his way to Zoe and she offered her hand and smiled. Dang, he said after looking her over. You are much more interesting than any of these crappy ass movies. His annoying laugh came out once again, and she had to suppress her eyes from rolling. You are the beautiful Zoe, and I am the beautiful Jason. You're not Jason, you asshat. She surprised herself as it came blurting out almost reflexively and with a bit too much harshness. She quickly looked away, embarrassed at uncharacteristic rudeness. Jason Van Acker looked a bit dejected but took it in his stride. Ouch! Well, perhaps after another vodka and cranberry then, I will be more Jason-y for you. He smiled with his annoying laugh and quickly went to the bar to sit up in the room, returning in less than a moment with the drink, which she accepted quickly and politely and apologized for her rudeness. When he made his way to the movie area, Zoe sat for a moment and sipped her drink. Her reaction had come from somewhere, and no matter how she tried to think about it, she could not figure out from where from within herself it had come. Jason Van Acker had curly brown hair, but she knew that Jason should be bald, with tattoos, and he had a different last name. What the actual fuck, Zoe? She said to herself quietly, shaking her head. Zoe was at home after the party around 3am. To Carrot's billies and Misery's dismay, she came home alone. She had made herself a sandwich and a glass of ginger ale, which sat on her table untouched while she stared out of the window, ignoring it. Zoe was truly hungry. But as soon as she had sat down to enjoy it, the thought of eating had left her mind completely. Something was wrong, and she felt it deep down, and it was killing her appetite. She slept hungry that night, but dreamless. Chapter 15 Breadcrumbs Zoe was very aware of her mental problems and what it meant to have them, and Dr. Marcus's office was pleasant as always, and she had reassured Zoe that this feeling of forgetting something or that something was just not sitting right with the world were all normal parts of anxiety disorders, which were all within the scope of what Zoe's issues were. 
Zoe thanked her as usual and left, feeling more normal and not any better. On Zoe's coffee table, there was a jigsaw puzzle of a castle that she was working on. She had started it some time ago. Zoe could not remember when, exactly. There was a solid beam of light showing on the table and for the first time in days, the rain had stopped and it gave the room an unfamiliar glow. A piece that started to slide into place. The colors met up and matched like they should, but then met with resistance. She stared at it and tried to push the two pieces together again, but the same resistance occurred again. Somewhere deep inside Zoe, a rage was building up that she could not explain, and the fact that she could not explain it seemed to fuel it more. Zoe used more force. The pieces simply had to fit together, or... Zoe did not know what would happen, only that they had to fit and that it was really important. Fuck you, she yelled at the puzzle and kicked the table over, scattering the pieces over the floor. Where the table now rested were now just puzzle pieces and the single beam of sunlight. In the center of the beam of light were the two puzzles that she'd been trying to force together, resting comfortably together as they should be. Zoe giggled nervously for a moment and did not bother cleaning up. As she turned around to walk out of the room, she stepped on something unfamiliar. She bent down and picked up a smooth, black stone. Zoe sat outside on the porch, feeling the weight of the stone in her hand. Somewhere in the background, she kept on hearing a phone ring. But every time she looked down at her phone, there was nothing there to answer. It was so smooth to touch that she knew ages upon ages of water and sand must have gone into its contours. There had been so many instances of deja vu in the last 24 hours that she was having some trouble being able to tell if she was awake or asleep at times. She thought about meditating on the stone several times, but always thought against it after a moment or two. After a few more days, Zoe was getting tired of the feeling that something was always behind her or around the next corner or following her. She could have sworn that she would pull a muscle in her neck if she turned her head any more often to see if something was there in the corner of her eye. An adjustment to meds came to mind as a possible solution to this. Although she knew that there was something else going on that was likely running underneath it all. Carrot was saying something to Zoe about past lives and how she had a very old song. According to Carrot, she was having memories of lives that she had long ago and that some gunja or perhaps tantric sex might do her some good. Zoe said that she would take it under advisement. She would sometimes wake up in the night famished and thirsty and when she would make her way to the refrigerator, she would hear the sounds of whispers coming from outside the windows. At one point, she was half in and half out of sleep when she heard the cell phone sound again and she actually tried to answer the black stone. Before she was fully awake, she was having some ridiculous conversation with someone called Patrick and how there were large parts of both past and future that had been consumed by someone. She woke up with the stone pressed against her ear and felt silly and a tad unhinged. Zoe 
finally decided to try and get a better scent of the stone, as so much of her current neurotic behavior had fixated around it. But for the first time in her memory, it was just a stone. There was no history buried deep within it, no lapping water smoothing its surfaces. It was as if it had just sprung into being a few days ago. Zoe followed up by trying to contact a friend, Corbin, who was into geology, or at least his father was, about the rock. He teased her a bit about being into rock collecting, but agreed to see her. She brought the stone over, and Corbin and Zoe shared Mountain Dew for a few minutes, talking about unimportant things from Corbin's classes earlier. Corbin's father walked in, a short bearded fellow with graying hair. He wore glasses and was very polite, as he helped himself to some of the Mountain Dew. He gave it a glance at first and then picked it up and checked its weight before bringing out a magnifying glass. It looks like onyx that has been finely hand-polished, he said, nodding. Where did you find it? Well, I... I am not altogether sure, to be honest. She scratched her arm. It's almost like it found me. The statement on its own was a bit laughable, but she knew there was more truth to it than would be normally implied for such a statement. As she scratched her arm, she looked at her fingertip. There was an unfamiliar small scar on its tip. Corbin's father looked at her and shrugged. Okay then. He made a dismissive gesture and reached into his pocket. This whole artifact thing is not my area. Here, call this guy. He produced a card from his pocket and wrote down a name and email address on the back. This dude is a little odd, but this is more up his alley. He handed the card over to her and left the room. She looked at it, and the insane deja vu washed over her once again. Dr. Roach, Zoe said out loud as her fingertip started to ache. Chapter 16, You Have Attention Zoe and Dr. Roach exchanged a few emails and agreed to have coffee. He had told her that he had been having some medical troubles, but he believed that he was feeling up to it enough to be social. The only problem was that the feelings of paranoia were escalating within Zoe every hour. She was starting to feel haunted, which normally would have her called friends or Dr. Marcus on the phone, but the part that was the most disturbing to her was the strange familiarity of it all. Zoe realized that she was far from the first or last person to want to scream to the heavens for an explanation as to what the meaning of her current emotional and mental state were. But it did not dissuade her. Zoe sat down at a booth. She had arrived first and decided it would not be too rude if she ordered some coffee before Dr. Roach arrived. She pulled the blackstone out of her pocket and placed it on the table, spinning it with her thumb, staring into its surfaces. It was such a simple object, a smooth stone. And yet, the geologist said almost instantly that it must have been carved by intelligent hands. She wished she would have asked him how she knew this before accepting Dr. Roach's assistance, just to know what to look for. It was both puzzling and fascinating that she could not get a scent of its existence herself. She was drinking her coffee black, and the black circle within the coffee mug sat unassumingly next to the stone on the table. Her reflection stared into the coffee mug and saw her reflection staring back at her, the ripples in the liquid from the vibrations on the table making her reflection quiver and shimmer. Her image was different from what she expected. 
She saw the image blink at her, which of course is impossible. Write it off as part of mental illness? Zoe asked herself while still staring at the reflection. The door opened, and a gust of cold air swept in. She glanced up and saw the tattoos on his neck, and the feeling of deja vu was rushing through her mind and body like a cascade. His bald head faced the waitress at the counter as he ordered coffee, his voice awkward just as it should have been, and kind just as it should have been. The cascade of feeling made the world go blurry for a moment, and a pain shot up her arm. Zoe realized that she had been clenching her hand into her fist so tight that she had dug her nails into her palm. Eye contact was made and everything went quiet, as if the entire world had become muted all at once. Dr. Roach stepped forward and offered his hand. Miss Bauman, I am Dr. Roach, but you can call me... Jason! Zoe exclaimed, interrupting him in mid-sentence. She did not have time to see if he was feeling offended or awkward from her outburst. The disorientating wave of months upon months of memory blasted her mind with the force of a truck of sledgehammers and everything around her went blurry and then went into nothing. It was not a blackout that Zoe had experienced. A blackout implies that there is a color associated with the event in some way. She would have just simply called it a long and horrifying blink that made her end up in some place with no recollection of getting there. She was fairly certain from the taste in her mouth when she was coming to that she had probably vomited, and judging from the last thing she remembered, it was probable that it happened on Jason while he tried to shake her hand. Familiar hospital lights glared unkindly at her from above. She could start to make out familiar medical chatter from the room around her. There were four people standing around her bed at the moment, talking quietly. Two of them she could identify as medical people, a woman in a white uniform of a medical doctor, the other a man in the scrubs of a nurse or orderly. The third was Jason. Even though the blur was affecting her sight, she saw the bald head and brownish jacket with the distinctive tribal tattoos on his neck, and she smiled lightly at his presence. The fourth figure stood off to the side, closer to the corner by the window. As far as Zoe could tell, he was remaining silent. He wore all black, and it was even more difficult to focus on him than the others. The light coming from the overhead lights did not appear to affect him in the same way as the other people in the room, almost like looking at a picture of someone standing in a different room while in this one. She swallowed and blinked, and the fourth figure was no longer seen. She wondered how much time might have passed when she had blinked. Zoe began to overhear these syllables and words. Jason and the other two were speaking, although she did not feel like speaking herself. Jason was saying with a bit of agitation in his voice that she was not used to. But I told you I've never met her before. She was someone I was talking to on email for a while. We were meeting for the first time to discuss some sort of anthropological item that she came across and she collapsed. I brought her here because it was the right thing to do, but I am not her brother or husband or anything, so I really can't speak for her as far as who to contact or whatever. He didn't know her. He didn't remember her. The flood of memory that had engulfed Zoe had not affected Jason in the slightest when she saw him. It was saddening to think that she was once again alone in her knowledge and memories. 
The doctor then nodded and said calmly, Okay, Mr. Roach, I understand. But if we could just have you at least leave your number so that we could get in touch with... It's okay, Zoe said, turning all the heads in the room. Zoe's voice was cracked and dry and there was a metallic taste in her mouth, but she managed to speak. He, he, he doesn't have to do anything. I, I am all good. I'm good. Which was, of course, not exactly true, but true enough to try to let Jason off the hook. The doctor then walked over to her and stated the obvious. You are awake, she said with a smile. How are you feeling? Zoe looked up at Jason and could not speak for a moment. The eye contact she shared with him stung, her yearning eyes meeting his with only cold non-recognition. I am feeling thirsty, I think. She managed to say despite the emotional sting, the nurse heard her and handed her a plastic cup with water and a straw. What happened to me? She was only slightly relieved to see that no vomit had reached Jason's coat. Well, the doctor began. I am not sure exactly, but things seem to be back to normal now, as far as blood pressure and such. We would like to run a few more tests and whatnot, but I don't think there's a serious problem. I think you may have just fainted. Fainted? She thought for a moment. Okay, I guess. When was the last time you ate? The doctor asked. She answered the questions and such, and agreed to stay the night to be sure no other incidents would occur. Jason was finally turning around to leave when Zoe tried to risk her memory and see if any of the other details she remembered about Jason held true by saying something to him as he left. To take care of you and Boris, Jason. He paused for a moment and kept walking. She lay back down having accomplished her mission of planting a seed of curiosity in his mind before he left. Zoe slept after she got home, slept in absolute and total blackness that insomniacs daydream about. Miss Bauman, the voice on the other side of the phone said before Zoe had the chance to utter a tired, Hello? Yeah, is this... She began to ask in a groggy voice. Yes, this is Dr. Roach. Jason, I am sorry to wake you. You must be tired after... Jason clearly could not think of a reason why after a night at the hospital followed by a night at home could see that Zoe might still be tired. Well, I'm just sorry to wake you. He repeated instead. You said something when I was leaving the hospital that caught my attention. And there are some things that... Zoe smiled at the familiar level of social awkwardness, but was also a bit distressed at the confusion Jason was clearly feeling at the moment as well. Yes, Jason. She continued for him. If you would like to try to meet again, I would be okay with that, and I promise not to faint at the sight of you again. There was an understandable moment of silence before Jason replied. Zoe was used to him being serious or stern, but there was a level to his voice that made her worry. Frankly, Miss Bauman, I was not sure whether to try and meet with you again or to get a restraining order. Jason's calling Zoe Miss Bauman was starting to get on her bad side, but she had to respect that he had an entirely different viewpoint of her than she had of him, and she was coming across in a somewhat concerning way. His sentence hung in the air for a moment, before she could finally reply with the right state of mind. 
Of course, Dr. Roach, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. She went into professional mode and tone with Jason, although it felt like he was choking somewhere inside to do so. If you would like to meet, we can organize a time, but if you would prefer that I not contact you again, I will respect your feelings about that. Zoe thought to herself that whole conversations could have happened just in the moment of silence that were happening throughout this relatively short conversation. No, that's not necessary, Miss Bauman. I would like to meet with you. There are several items besides just your stone that I think... Well, I suppose it would be better just for you to see for yourself. Can you come by my office later today? Say six o'clock. It sounds like you are already familiar with where it is. The last statement was about her knowledge regarding his pet in his office. I think so, she said. Is this your office on Turnberry? She was unsure of whether or not to state his location, but she figured that being honest was going to be the best approach. Yes. Uh, I'll see you then. Goodbye, Miss Bauman. Goodbye. Doctor, she managed to say before the click of this connection at the other end of the line. Chapter 17. Not quite where we started. Zoe rode the bus downtown the whole time, wondering what was happening in this strange and nonsensical life of hers. Amidst the confusion and interference that had been part of Zoe's life for the better part of a year now, one question had fought its way to the top of her priorities as her ride took her towards Jason's office. Why, if Jason had no recollection of who Zoe was, or their time together, did Jason have an office in town? Originally, he had set up his local office to accommodate the fact that Zoe was to be taken in as his ward while they worked on the problems presented by her case, including the stone, the strange writing in her room at the sanitarium, as well as the other mysterious factors that had built up around her. The door to the building was unlocked and Zoe made her way down to the dim and slightly musty hallway to the entrance door of Jason's office. Her hand moved instinctively to the doorknob before making the decision to knock. Come in, Miss Bauman. Thank you, she said, taking a seat on the other side of the desk. Her eyes moved to Boris for a moment. He was looking at papers in his hand and did not speak for a moment. I am sorry if I was any trouble, Dr. Roach. I didn't really mean to disturb you. Zoe's job interview voice taking point once again. Jason looked up and had some of the familiar kindness back into his eyes. You could call me Jason. His words were a bit labored, Zoe could tell, but she appreciated them just the same. Well then, Jason, please call me Zoe. She said with a conservative smile. Okay, Zoe. Jason was nervous, and Zoe was feeling guilty and helpless at the same time. I was not sure whether or not to go to the authorities, but I... He took a large swig of his tea, his mouth dry from the encounter. I am not sure they would believe me, so I decided to talk to you. Zoe nodded slowly. I understand, I think. Now... From what I can determine, there are four general possibilities about what is happening here involving you and me. His scientific way of speaking was refreshing to Zoe, although she was trying very hard not to let it show. None of them are likely, 
It's just some are more likely than others. He slid one of the papers he had in his hand across the desk to Zoe. Do you know what this is? She looked at it and knew exactly what it was. It was the main document that both she and Jason had signed regarding the arrangement that she be under his legal care and that she work with him during the day and return to the halfway home at night. The halfway home she no longer went to now as in her reimagined life, she'd never had her so-called psychotic break. Her mind filled with several different reactions at once. She did not want to escalate the situation, however, so she assumed a one-word answer response mode. Yes. Jason nodded with a small sigh and continued, turning around his computer monitor so that she could see what was on the screen. And these, do you know what they are? He showed her a few more documents, apparently badly scanned into his database, concerning their legal arrangement that dealt with some of the details concerning her medication, transportation, emergency contact information, etc. Almost all of them containing both of their signatures. Yes, she replied again. And you have seen these before? He pressed. Yes, all of them, she answered. Jason was still clearly distressed as he folded his hands and nodded slowly. He unfolded his hands, opened his desk drawer and produced a green folder with several sheets of paper and photographs in them. He opened to a few specific spots within them. Some were more printouts of old scanned documents that they had signed out of various libraries while researching. Some were pictures of actual research sites they had seen photos of while discussing archaeology and ancient history. She nodded and said, Yes, a few more times until he was satisfied. And this, folks, is where we'll stop for now. Well, looks like Zoe gets to experience her time with Dr. Roach, aka Jason, all over again. It's interesting to see the effects of time traveling insight on the world around Zoe, and that simply knowing something prior to it taking place or having unique knowledge about someone wouldn't necessarily open doors, but also possibly closed doors in some areas. Stick with me Wednesday, folks, where I'll continue on with this story. Now, listeners, if you enjoyed the episode, subscribe on your podcast platform and you'll have me in your ear every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Monday, I'll be doing old-time radio remastering, bringing back vintage radio to modern-day quality of audio. Wednesday, I'll be doing audiobook day, which is thrown in the stream. And Friday are my fiction-slash-true-story day, so I hope you can join me then. Now, I want to thank my legends that support the show. First up, my old night tea titan, the majestic and magnificent Maya, queen of the cats. Mate, you grapple this podcast by its pants and discus throw it into space where it can sit amongst the stars. Thank you, mate, for supporting me in the way you do, Maya. And I've been able to implement new mastering tools today to ensure that I have the audio levels just right and also pops and clicks are removed where possible. Not to mention the fact that I now have RX Studio thanks to your lovely self. And thanks to you, you've really helped speed track this, Maya. You're a bloody legend. My white tea warlord, Leza, king of the app crunch, mate, thank you so much, buddy, for your support. I put your donation straight into new music today, new sound effects, and hosting costs for the podcast. Thank you, you legend, and I'm grateful for your support. Not a day goes by where I'm not thanking you for being my white tea warlord. And because I'm lucky to have two white tea warlords, my second white tea warlord is Paige Kramer, the knowledge tamer. Paige, how awesome are you? Ultra awesome. Thanks to your support, Paige. 
I'm able to pay off hosting costs further so that I can stay on the radio waves for another year. And with your donations, I can have this subsidized significantly, if not completely in a couple of months. Thank you so much, Paige. You're brilliant. And the peeps that put the crackle and pop in my bony leg hop, my ill gray enforcers, I'm lucky to have. Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Divided by Zero, and Leah Fassig. Thank you for supporting me and thanks for listening. And join me Friday for some interesting tales. As always, folks, till next we meet.